You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast as we go through a series with Pastor Daniel Williams called Joy, A Battle of the Mind, a study through the book of Philippians. Amen. Amen. I just got reminded and encouragement. Uh, Last week, someone texted me and said, hey, you did a great job. You had my attention the whole time. Good job. That's pretty amazing because I went 59 minutes. Just saying. I'm trying to take a chapter a week. It's a lot. So buckle up. Let's get going. I have less notes tonight, but we're still doing another chapter. So if you have your Bible, turn it to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to be covering. If you don't own a Bible, we have some in the back. You can grab one. You can go on your smartphone. It's a, a, new, uh, it's a New Testament uh, book, letter of the Bible. Uh, if I have not met you or you're hearing my voice or watching the video, my name is Pastor Daniel. I'm so excited that you're studying God's Word with us. This is the 22nd book of the Bible that we've studied together. We've studied a lot of Scripture together. We continue to do so throughout the week in our community groups. And like Pastor Robin said, we have this uh, Be Joyful series, this book by Warren Wiersbe that we have in the back. You can feel free to take one. We're just asking a $10 donation, or if you're watching online, you can get it through Amazon. And it gives you a deep dive into these studies. So as a pastor, I feel like taking a chapter a week, it is very, um, it is very hard because you can take one verse and you could teach a whole hour on it. And I'm trying to do a chapter, but I think last week went pretty well, right? It was good. It was one aspect of what we're learning. And, uh, and so feel free to do this, join a community group, discuss, talk, pray. Uh, we're doing this study together. And the study that we're doing through Philippians is called joy, the battle of the mind, joy, the battle of the mind. Uh, The Apostle Paul is teaching us the secret to have joy. He identifies this, he shares this in this book, that our thought life and our focus matter. What we think about actually matters. He wants us to focus on Jesus, to think heavenly thoughts, and the Bible exhorts us over and over again, and especially in this book, to rejoice, to make a choice mentally, not what happens to you, but how you respond. It's our attitude. You know, it's in his book, um, Brian Boyle, uh, he has a book that's called It's Personal, Surviving and Thriving on the Joy of Church Planning. Uh, He says this about church planning and serving the Lord and and working in a church. And I feel like, you know, even though we've been established for eight years, uh, we've moved six different locations and uh, we're constantly basically a culture of church planning, relying on God uh, and being able to make it and just pressing into Him. And so, uh, Brian, Pastor Brian says, if you're going to thrive over the years, a positive mental and emotional framework, uh, a framework, the constant choice of faith over fear is what will get you there. What choices have you made this week? What choices will you make? If you're going to thrive, you need to choose to rejoice in the Lord. You need to choose to focus on what he said and claim the promises of God and live for him. Now, Paul, the original church planner, you could say he's the OG, you know, right? Come on, that was a funny joke. Jeez. Come on, we're hanging out now, man. This is a family. It's body. Okay, give me some encouragement over here. He's the original church planner years ago, right? First church he planted in Europe was the church in Philippi. We studied that, okay? And so he's telling us essentially the same thing, that our emotional state, our thought life, our pattern, it does matter. How we respond to things, our attitudes makes a difference. Paul tells us we can have a choice to rejoice, and yes, that rhymed, to respond in faith, 
in all of our circumstances, okay? And so he writes in this letter, addresses our attitude with the mindset. Last week, we covered chapter one. It was this mindset that the Warren Wearsby calls a single mind, a single mind. James says, don't be double-minded in your thinking, swaying here and there and so. No, be single-minded. And he says the single mind is to put Christ first in your life, giving him glory, glorifying in the gospel. And so in chapter one, Paul wasn't robbed of his joy because of his circumstances. The circumstance was he was in jail, he was in prison, he was trapped, but he's actually joy, joyful because he's saying, hey, God is getting glory through this. People are getting boldness to preach. The gospel is going forth. And you could say the theme verse of chapter one is verse 21. It's this attitude of being a single mind. It says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul cared about Christ and living for him and wanting him to be glorified. And there's great joy when you live for Jesus. Can I get amen? When you give your life to him, there is some fruit, there is some revelation, there is some results in you sowing seeds of faith and of the Spirit, that there is joy in your life. And so Paul had this attitude amidst the circumstances. There was even false teachers and preachers preaching the gospel for false reasons. He's like, well, praise God, because at least the gospel is going forth and the word of God has power. So, hey, in all things, I just rejoice. And if I'm living, it's for your benefit because I'm going to serve you. Now, Paul continues to move into chapter two, what we're going to cover tonight with another mindset. Remember, we're covering four mindsets, each one, each chapter. This mindset is the submissive mind the submissive mind. Last week was the single mind. This is the submissive mind. This is the mindset or attitude to submit not only to God, but others. To not only submit to God, but others. A mindset to serve other people. And you can say the theme verse of chapter 2 is found in verse 3. Look at your Bibles. It says, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. You know, as Charles Spurgeon said about humility, humility is a proper estimate of oneself. A proper estimate of oneself. God wants us to be humble before Him, but also before other people. Before other people, so that we can have joy. So that we can have joy. So many people try to serve themselves, try to esteem themselves in pride, and lift themselves up to obtain happiness. But it's through submitting to God and to other people, through love, that we actually find the state of joy. So in chapter 1, Paul addresses how the idea of putting God first and having a single mind gives you joy. Now he's going to move forward and address how putting others first will actually bring you great joy in your life. And this takes, my friends, humility. It takes a lot of humility to accept your role and to serve other people and to apply it in your life, to truly trust, trust Jesus at his words. You know, it was Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, verse 27 and 28, he said this, whoever would be first among you must be your slave or servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for all. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, you must be submissive to God and to other people, and you must have a mindset to serve through humility. Andrew Murray wrote a great book. It's a sort of a smaller book, but man, it is great and powerful. It's called Humility, and he says this, humility is not so much a virtue along with others, but it is the root of all. 
It is the root of all because it alone takes the right attitude before God and allows him as God to do all. That's true humility. It's not putting yourself down. It's esteeming God. It's recognizing you are not God and whatever he says goes. Paul had addressed that in chapter one. Now he's going to say, now apply that to your life here on this earth and start living in humility and serving other people. Can you imagine real quick? Just, I mean, this is going to be really fantasizing. What if social media, there was nothing but humble people on it? Like, like, can you even fathom? What if it was just a big ball of encouragement? What if in every relationship you had, there was arguments and disputes because you, out, you wanted to outserve one another? But what would that world look like? It would look a little bit different than what we have with these quarreling and fights because we want our will to be done, because we want to serve ourselves, because we want our happiness. We do our thing. It's me, me, me. But the Bible says, no, serve and let it go. Love people. Serve them. Be blessed. Certain wills trying to get their ways. You know, that's what makes a great marriage is when two people can outserve one another. When they give their will over to that person as a blessing of love. It's like, well, let me serve you. No, let me serve you. It almost gets annoying because if you go on a date with someone that loves them, like, where do you want to go? No, baby, where do you want to go? Oh, I don't care, honey. Where do you want to go? Like, make up your mind, man. Come on, you know? But think about it. How many problems will be solved if someone stopped in their pride and said, you know what? I was wrong. I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to let you choose. Or will you just forgive me? Think about the power of humility and what that could bring in our life and especially in our relationships because it's in our relationships that we get robbed. Relationships could bring the most joy in your life and the most pain in your life. Isn't that weird? How sometimes when you have the best relationships with people you love the most, it actually brings the most pain because you have different wills fighting, combating. But what if there was a submissiveness? What if there was a unity where the Lord commands a blessing, he says? There would be some great joy in your life, true joy. You know, when talking about relationships and even marriage, Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 would say, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're, we're to submit and to love and to walk in humility out of reverence, fear, honor, joy for God as worship. And we're going to see that we see this example in him. And so the secret of our circumstances is a single mind. The secret to people is a submissive mind. Think about that. If you want to have the secret of joy in any circumstance, try to find God and give Him glory in that situation. But if you want to find joy in relationships, surrender your will. You'll find some joy there. Sacrifice. Serve. Suffer. Give yourself over to this submissive mind. Now, before we dig too deep into the text, let me clarify. Let me give you just a little bit more deeper into this submissive mind of what submissive means. Submit. It's one of our favorite words, isn't it, in America? We just love that. Submit. Well, this term is actually a military term. It means to be under rank, to have an order, to fall in issue and harmony with a bigger order than of yourselves. So you have generals, you have colonels, you have... Majors, captains, sergeants, they're all levels of rank, but they all desire respect. They're all a big part of a team, but through humility, they work together and accomplish great things. You think of how powerful submission is. 
It has nothing to do with a person's role if they're smarter or greater or bring more value, but it's an order of respect that brings unity and power. The Bible says we're to submit to one another, that we have certain roles, that we're all valuable in God's eyes, but we have different gifts. We're a part of this unique body and we serve. And, and it's a powerful thing when we're allies and not enemies, submitting to the Lord and walking in his will. Submission gives us value. It doesn't have to do with the person's value that you submit. Every person deserves value in God's eyes. When we look scripturally, God wants us to love all people. So when you submit to all people, you give value to all people. You esteem what God has made as creation, as order. And it brings value when you submit to someone. Hey, man, what, what do you think about this situation? Well, I don't know. What, what do you want to do? Doesn't that ever feel good? Don't you wish your boss said that a little bit more to you? Hey, what do you, you work in the trenches. What, what, what do you want to say? Oh, they're, they're, they're bringing value to you. They, they understand you. They, they want your input. Lastly, submission, it brings a great unity. The idea of the word is not an idea for individuals or an individualistic approach of life, but it's one that is selfless. It accepts being a part of a great team. When you join the army, you're submitting your rights for the greater good of the army. Some of you guys know that. When you go into boot camp and you get your head shaven and you do all this different stuff, and it's like, what are they trying to do? Just make us like everyone else? Sort of, yeah. Because there's a greater, bigger purpose. And when you guys all do it together, it brings great unity and blessing. And man, it's a part, you're a part of something greater. Now, in the book that we're reading, Warren Wiersbe said this, Philippians 1, it is Christ first. And in Philippians 2, you could sum it up as others first. That's a pretty good order. You put God first, you put others second, then you put yourself last. That's how the kingdom of God works. That's where you're going to get the best fruit, the most satisfaction, the, the greatest uh, dividends of joy or reward in your life. He says there could be no joy in life of a Christian who puts himself above others. Feel convicted yet? I do. I mean, think about that. Paul is giving us a great example of what and how we find joy, and yet, even in the midst of my own life, comparing my life to these truths, I'm like, dang, I fall short again. But let us not forget the good news of Jesus Christ. That he gives forgiveness. That's why it's good news. That he is the example. That he served us the most. He humbled himself all the way from heaven down to the very end. And Father raised him up. That's why he is the name above all names. Because he was the person that humbled himself the most in all humanity. And so he has the greatest name. And we're going to see this pattern that first comes suffering and then glory. It's possible to actually be other-centered through the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit to fill your life with joy through God and his word. And so Paul is giving you this argument, this mindset, and he gives you four examples in chapter two of how to be other-centered and how you can do it. And he gives these four examples. First example, it's a Sunday school answer. Does anyone have any guesses? Booyah! Jesus, verses one through 11. It's like, come on, that's like the best answer. Jesus, the Bible, love, like any of these things, those are good things. So he says, hey, you want to live other-centered? We have a pattern, an example. Look to Jesus. But then he says, okay, I've actually implemented Jesus in my life. I've given my, given my life over to him. I live for him now. The Holy Spirit's in me. And look, I'm living this out too. So he gives a second example of himself, verses 12 through 18. 
But then he gives two other examples in this chapter because you may think, well, sure, Paul, you're a superhero. Writing the Bible, church planning. Jesus, well, duh, you're God. What about me? Timothy, a spiritual son in the faith, one that had to grow in this area. And then Epaphroditus. Timothy is verse 19 through 24. Epaphroditus, verse 25 through 30. So he's going to give us these things, these examples of people that could be other-centered so that you can be other-centered, so that you can have some joy, so that you can follow these patterns and actually fight this battle of the mind. So let's walk through each example together. Sound good? Okay, perfect. That's, are you sure? Okay, great. Just want to make sure you're still there. We're going by quick, okay? This is a, I mean, there's a whole book on this, okay? So I'm just I'm giving it to you. Verse... One through four sort of serve as the principal concept of this chapter for a submissive mind. Uh, Let's read it together. I think I have the words on the screen. I'm going to read it out of my Bible because it's behind me. Uh, Feel free to, on your smartphone or behind me in in your Bible, whatever you'd like. It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Paul is asking them, hey, do you have any encouragement in Jesus? The answer should obviously be yes. He's saved my soul. He's redeemed me. He's bought me with his blood. He loves me so much. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. Do you, have you been ever comforted and loved by God then? Of course. Yes. This is Doctrine 101. This is Bible. Well, well what about the Holy Spirit? Have you been impacted your, your life by the Holy Spirit? He goes, what about Jesus? What about the Father? What about the Spirit? And all those answers are yes, yes, and yes. He goes, so if that's true, here's what your response should be. Worship. We respond to God's love. He loved first, so we respond back to His love. And so our response of worship, he's saying, is not just to love God, but then now love other people. If you have any encouragement, if you have any hope in Christ, if you're just so blown away by God and His love and His mercy, then be merciful and love other people. You know, Jesus would say in Matthew 22, 38 and 39, this is the great and first commandment, speaking of loving God. But he says, and this, the second is like that. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. God wants us to love him and love other people. This attitude or response to God will give you a life full of joy. When Paul says we're to look out, looking out for the interest of others, he wants you to understand that it is a good thing and it's a practical way to love someone if you put their interest before yours. To submit to them, to love them and serve them. How can we do this in our relationships? What does this practically look like for you to love other people? Well, we can look to Jesus to see this because Paul tells us that Jesus is our example. He's our pattern. He demonstrated true love and other sinnerness. And so he says about this mindset in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this mindset. 
What mindset? The mind of Christ, Paul would tell the Corinthian church. That we can actually have the mind of Christ, this attitude, that we are to follow Jesus in the attitude of serving others. Now, 6 and 11 explain how Jesus served others. Because if he is our pattern, we want to know what he did so we can apply it to our lives and the reward of living other-centered lives. Read with me in verse 6 through 11. Speaking of Jesus, who through though he was in the form of God, did not, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, or because of this, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Three things we see in this text which are so deep, so profound. One of my favorites, just speaking about Jesus' humility, that we see how Jesus lived an other-centered life. One, he served. Two, he sacrificed. And three, he suffered. These are things that we see in this text that Jesus displayed. First, he served. And you may say, well, how, how did Jesus serve people? How was he other-centered? The text says he served by becoming a man and changing his form to show us who the Father was. Now, this word form means an outward expression of inward nature. Outward expression of inward nature. It's a deep truth, theological form. We're actually going to talk about this in depth as we move into Christmas and talk about how God was with us and became a man. But for right now, you need to know that from eternity past and forevermore, Jesus has and will always be God. This is the very nature of who Jesus is. As we study together as a church, the book of Revelation, Revelation in the end of the age, we start to see the majesty of Jesus and Him being glorified in who He is. And Paul and many of the writers of the New Testament would talk about how Jesus is equal to God. Jesus would say that, and this is why the Pharisees wanted to stone Him. As we looked about this in the summer, as Pastor Robin talked about the life and work of Jesus. There are other passages in the New Testament talk about this. Great ones are like 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This very being, God Himself, actually came in form of humanity. Colossians 1.15 is another one. And in Him we have our being and our move. And it, God was pleased to dwell and serve in this way. Hebrews 1. Verses 1 through 3 talks about this, that, that Jesus was the exact imprint and radiance of glory of God. Jesus is fully deity and a part of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. But the Bible says that he changed his outward appearance. That's what that word form means. It's where we get that word metamorphosis, or to be morphed. The word is one where we describe like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. And although it has a different outer shell, it's the same person, the same nature. That there may be a different form, but the same nature or person. And so when Jesus became a man, he still was fully God, same nature. But he had a different form. 
And so theologians, they describe this as fully God and fully man. Was he truly fully man? Yes, he was born of a virgin, of Mary, but yet he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brought forth and did this work before the foundation of the earth. The Lord was going to come as God with us, Emmanuel, fully God, fully man. So who he is is God, but the form looked different through the manifestation of his birth and being alive and here in flesh. This was to come and to serve, to show us who the Father was. He would tell Thomas, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I've done everything according to his name. And to be a perfect sacrifice for our sins. The lion of the tribe of Judah, he's ferocious, he's incredibly powerful, he's mighty, but yet he's a lamb and he shed his own blood for us. We have these illustrations in Jesus and Jesus served in that way. You ever think about the sacrifice that would be? Just knowing the glory of heaven and leaving it, let alone like becoming your own creation. This was an act of servitude. It was an act of giving of himself, of loving you. He came to die for people like me and you. He served. He didn't have to, but he's merciful, he's faithful, he's good. It's by the grace of God that we are saved. He could have easily just said, oh, they messed up. Oh, well, but he didn't. So much so that the angels are baffled. They're, they're just, their minds are blown looking at us, even worshiping, because they see grace and the good news of the gospel in us and how God just serves us. It blows them away. And this was huge. Because the second thing we see in this text is there was sacrifice. There was sacrifice, not alone to just leave heaven to come to earth, but to become part of creation. Jesus would tell us in John 6.38, I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And in verse 6 and 7, we read Paul say it this way, He was in the form of God, but he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself. This was his choice. Sometimes when you serve people, you got to make a choice. you got to live by faith and be able to say, okay, I'm going to empty my will, myself. As John the Baptist said, less of me, more of you, God. I want your will to be done. So by taking the form of a servant... It just wasn't he became a man. Jesus could have came down as like the most amazing king and had the entire world bow down. That's how most kingships and world leaders do. In their pride, they want to be exalted, but he said, no, I'm going to love, I'm going to sacrifice, so that way they can choose me and respond to my love. It says, being born in the likeness of men. This service of Jesus was a great sacrifice and required not only humility, but humiliation on Jesus' part. See, Jesus did not think of himself, as verse 6 says, he did not consider himself equality with God, something selfishly to be held held on to. He trusted the Father in his plan to redeem the people that if he submitted to God and suffered, there would be glory. Satan tempts us to try to get glory without suffering, without loving, to be tempted and to go and go against God's will to get the happiness or joy that we want. But that's the ways of the enemy, not the ways of the Spirit. God says, no, you could die to yourself and then I'll bring you joy. You can serve, you can suffer, you can give. And it was a sacrifice to display this love to others. 
Service is the mark of having a submissive mind. When we think about submissive mind and putting others first, you have to get in your mind, you have to be a servant then. Because Jesus was a servant. And this type of sacrifice and service only flow from a loving relationship with God and a relationship with Him. Now you remember Jesus, He would serve constantly. In John chapter 13, He would wash the disciples' feet. And there's a secret in that passage in verse 3 that gives us sort of how he was able to do this. Because many people say, well, how can I serve? How can I serve? What, what can I do to be like Jesus? In verse 3, Jesus said, the text says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, the text goes on and says, he washed the disciples' feet. Jesus knew his identity and that he was loved by God the Father, so he didn't have to earn people's love. He could just give love away. And when you know that and when you understand the power of the gospel, that you are loved no matter what, and you've been forgiven, then you could forgive much when you've been forgiven much. Jesus knew his identity, and he, and he, and he used that to serve. If you know your identity in God and how much he has served us and respond to his love, it will be very easy for you to serve other people. Well, I don't know if it's going to be easy. You need the empowering of the Holy Spirit. But it's very clear. Sometimes it's those hard things in life that are very simple and yet so profound. They're very easy and very hard at the same time. And so he had this identity so he could joyfully sacrifice and serve other people. And we can do the same when we are in love with God. We can respond by loving other people. But it will cost you something. And the last thing we see is Jesus not only sacrificed, he not only served, but he suffered. In verse 8, he says, And being in form of the human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What the Bible says, he shed his blood, for without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Jesus shed his blood for you and for me, and it's this great love that we can look to Jesus as a pattern. He would say in Matthew 5, 10, the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteous sake, righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the way to the kingdom of God. To be great in the kingdom of God is to serve and to love other people. And we see that because of Jesus' great sacrifice through humility, love, and obedience, what happened to him? What was his reward? He was exalted. He was lifted up by God. God raised him up to have the name above all names that every knee should bow and every tongue should confess. This is the type of mindset, attitude, and heart we're to have. This mind of Christ. And we'll be rewarded just as Jesus was rewarded. God will lift us up and he'll give us joy. He'll give us joy when we do this. Again, Warren Wiersbe said, it is one of the paradoxes of the Christian life that the more we give, the more we receive. The more we sacrifice, the more God blesses. This is why the submissive mind leads to joy. It makes us more like Christ. Think about it. Jesus is the most joyful person you could ever imagine. He invented the thing. Joy flows from him. When we talk about trying to be joyful, we're trying to be like Jesus. He's the pattern. He's the example. And so now Paul goes on in this text and he says, you can apply this mindset to G that of Jesus in your own life. I've done it. 
He is more than willing to serve, to suffer, to sacrifice. Let's read verse 12 through 18 because Paul now gives an example of himself and says, hey, I'm not just preaching this to you. I have actually done this in my life and has brought so much joy. I want you to have this same joy. In verse 12 through 18, he says, therefore, or because of this, I wrote all this stuff about Jesus. So because of this, my beloved Christians, those that love Jesus and want to follow him, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Keep on living for God. Remember, he said, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. He says, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out, he's saying, even if I'm to be suffered, poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, obviously, we're taking chunks of sections of, of, sections of passages, so we have to break it down so things don't get lost. Okay, And so in verse 12 and 13, Paul tells us that God works in us and he works through us. That God is a God that is alive and when you put your faith in him, he cleanses your sins, he gives you his righteousness and he gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit and he works in and through believers. Remember that he, when we put our faith in God, we have access to receive the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit and he says in this verse, it is God who works in you. God works in us. He sanctifies us. He cleanses us. He transforms us. He renews our mind. Both, he says, to will and to work for his good pleasure. To bring him glory. Your life, when you submit to him and love God and are loving him, it could bring him glory as you surrender your life and your spirit, uh, your spirit to the Holy Spirit. Just what an amazing thought that is. That we can actually bring God pleasure. And we can, have him, we can have him work in us, transform us, but then work through us. That is the pattern. That's what God wants. This is why Paul says, now work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. This does not mean work for your salvation. It means work out your salvation. You're being saved by Jesus. Your faith has works. Produce something good. Please, Jesus, have your faith produce works with the power of the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes what we want to do is pay God back, produce our own works, not from the Holy Spirit, but out of our flesh. And we want to earn God's approval and earn God's favor. And he says, no, you already have that. Now just respond. Now just embrace the gospel. And so he exhorts them in verse 15. He says, now be blameless and innocent. Remember, your conduct matters. Children of God without blemish in all the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights. Isn't it a great thing to know that even as Christians in this dark, crooked, messed up generation world right now, we can be a witness to Jesus Christ. 
that there is still light because God is working in us and he will work through us. That there is always hope. No matter how bad things get, we can go to God. Paul wanted us to know that we are living epistles. He would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, that, that we represent God, that people are reading our lives, and we can bring glory to God as we follow Jesus and love other people. Or he would say in 2 Corinthians 5.20 that we're ambassadors, that we represent this kingdom. As we live for God, people are looking to us and saying, wow, that, that's what God looks like? That Jesus said, I am the light of the world, but you were the light of the world. And this mystery of the gospel, the light now lives in us, and God lives in us and works through us. And that's why Paul could say and tell the church, so follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. All followers have the power of Christ in them through the power of the Holy Spirit to live in us and to be used by God and to be examples. And so in verse 17, Paul says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Why? Why was he saying, even if I basically die or be poured out, it was an illustration as an offering for them. Because Paul would be an example to us and all and help us follow Jesus. Because he had a single mind. So he wanted to serve people. So he would rejoice when he was serving people, even to the point of death, because Jesus shed his blood for us. And he's following that pattern now of Christ. So Paul essentially is using himself as an example that we can follow in Christ, serving others. He tells us then to rejoice in that in verse 18. Even if it requires serving, sacrifice, and suffering. And so now, this is where Paul is genius in his writing. This is where I think the inspiration of the Holy Spirit comes upon scriptures. Because now he goes and he starts understanding our thought process. You ever think about the Bible, the people like that write rich scripture, you think, man, they must be full of faith. Sometimes they have doubts. Sometimes they think just like you and me. And he's starting to process how some people would think, or at least how I would think. Because he goes on now and gives two more examples of not just him and Christ, but two other people, Timothy and Epaphroditus. It's almost as if he knew we would say, well, well yeah, but you're Paul. Like, of course, Jesus did it. God, same form, hello. But he's saying, no, 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 check out this pattern. It's for me, but not even as a leader. I had a spiritual son, Timothy, and he followed the ways of Christ. No, Epaphroditus, one of your own from Philippi, he followed the way of Christ. If all of us can do it, you can do it as well. Don't just idolize me. Look to how the Holy Spirit wants to use you. And so he gives us this example. Paul reminds us that we can learn and grow in having a mindset and be an example for other people. And so he gives this example of Timothy. Timothy, in verse 19 through 24, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Remember, Paul was in prison. He couldn't go and visit them as well. He wanted to send someone that represented him. And, and so he says, so that I may too be cheered by the news of you. He wanted to know about them. There was a relationship. This was a church that he planted. He cared for them. They cared for he, uh, him. For I have no one like him, speaking of Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. You mean his character, his faithfulness. He doesn't just look out for his own interest. He wants to serve other people. How as a son, he says, with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. 
I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Paul met Timothy on his second missionary journey. Acts chapter 16, you read about it. Uh, Timothy was quite different than Paul, but Paul called him a spiritual son. He discipled Timothy along the way. Uh, in verse 20, 20, he says, I have no one like him who genuinely is concerned for your welfare. Uh, in verse 22, he would say, he's a spiritual son to me. Paul wanted to send Timothy to the church in Philippi because he knew Timothy would serve them, would love them, would care for them as if he were Paul himself. And he wanted us in the church to know that the Holy Spirit can work through us all. You see, Timothy was different than Paul. Timothy was a son. Paul was a father. Paul was mature in the faith. Timothy had to grow in that. His background was his mom was Jewish. His grandma mom were believers, but his father wasn't. He was a Greek. And he was introduced to Paul by Paul circumcising him. That's a proper way of how they did ministry back then. Hey, how you doing? You want to follow me? Okay, why don't you get circumcised so you're not stumbling for other people? They want to get an anatomy, but geez, come on. That's crazy, right? There's some sacrifice right there. Timothy had to learn. He's like, yeah, I want to go. I want to serve you. I want, I want to serve you, serve with you and, and, you know, follow Jesus. And he's like, great, learn the mind of Christ. And so Timothy does that willingly, just so he wouldn't stumble people, just so he would serve the Jewish people because he was Jewish, but he was also Greek. That didn't happen. He came from a broken home and the opportunity didn't follow him for the customs of the Jewish people. But notice how God still wanted to use Timothy in a mighty way, and he would. And it was through humility that he would grow in his faith and was discipled by Paul and a fellow partner in the gospel, Paul says. Which meant he didn't just have this mindset at first, but he had to learn and grow in it. You ever think about that? We always talk about the heroes of the faith or people we idolize or look up to. They were not always like that. They actually had to grow into ministry. They had to grow into maturity. You're going to have to grow into maturity. You're going to have to grow into being a servant. You may not like be like that right now, but you can be. Timothy was one of those guys. He, he was growing, and Paul's like, listen, there was some faith from your grandma, from your mom, and now I, I've seen the fruit. Now it's in you. Paul had to reassure him of his growth. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 Paul would write two letters to Timothy to sort of tell him to be led by the power of the Spirit, that he was timid and shy, but he could be used by God. And he said this, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage uh, the good warfare. Paul had to encourage Timothy to fight, encourage Timothy to love, to remember the prophecies, to remember the Spirit of God wanted to use him as well. And Paul wanted Timothy to walk out these great truths of God over his life through the prophecies, and Timothy needed encouragement. He would go on later in that chapter in verse uh, 14 and 15 of chapter 4. He would say, do not neglect the gift you have. Why would he have to say that? Because Timothy was shy and timid and was starting to neglect it, was following back, wasn't as mature. And Paul said, no, 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 don't neglect that. When was given to you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you, men of God saw things in you that you can be used by God, and they laid hands on you. So practice these things and immerse yourself in them. He would continue to go on and say, so grow in them. Pursue righteousness and purity and love and do these things that you can actually do in Christ. 
Some of us just need encouragement not to be condemned by our, uh, our immaturity, but encouragement to say, you can do these things in Christ. Don't give up. Become a servant. Timothy had to learn that. Timothy had to be reminded and encouraged by Paul that God could and would use him. And I think we need these reminders as well, don't we? And so Paul would say in the second letter, in Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 through 7, I remind you of your sincere faith. Don't forget about it. This is yours. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Timothy became a man of God, a man of faith. For he said, for this reason I remind you to fan the flame of the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a, uh, God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power, of love, and self-control. And so Paul now is sending Timothy to Philippi to minister because he grew in his faith. He served as an example to the church there. Lastly, Paul would give this illustration or this church Epaphroditus. They didn't know Timothy. Paul knew Timothy very well. But this church in Philippi, they didn't know Timothy, but they did know Epaphroditus. And he says, Epaphroditus, the person you know and love, a part of this church, he served as an example of a servant having the mind of Christ. Look at verse 25 to 30 as we close. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. He got sick. Verse 27, he says, Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul cared for this brother. I am the more eager then to send him. Therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete uh, complete what was lacking in your service to me. Paul wants to send Epaphroditus with this letter, this book. The, re- the reason we're le- reading this is because he sent Epaphroditus and Timothy, and they went back to Philippi. They were to read it to the church of Macedonia, Philippi in the region outside of that area. And so he's sending Epaphroditus back. Epaphroditus um, was one of their own, the Philippi church. In Philippians chapter 4, we'll cover it later. But it tells us that the church sent Paul uh, financial support. And this letter that we have in Ephesians is actually a thank you letter to the church. And Paul thanks them, not with finances, but giving them eternal truths. Don't ever forget that. Eternal truth is greater riches than just the physical things of this earth. And so Paul is now saying, this is the secret of joy. This is what I want. And he's going to send Epaphroditus back. And this was a sacrifice for Epaphroditus. And he would be risking and dangerously risking his life. Verse 30 says, he nearly died for the work of Christ. Can you imagine that? And so Paul says in verse 29, so receive him in the Lord, this brother, this fellow worker, this soldier, your messenger, and fellow minister with all joy and honor, honor such men. Paul wanted them to honor now Epaphroditus because he served others with a submissive mind. And even though Epaphroditus suffered as he served, God wanted people to esteem uh, his godly example and honor him. Warren Wiersbe said, And the person 
with a submissive mind as he lives for others must expect sacrifice and service, but in the end, it is going to lead to glory. We see this in Jesus as a godly pattern. First, he suffers in glory, and then we see it in Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. It is as we humble ourselves before the Lord that God raises us up, he exalts us, and brings joy into our life. And Paul is now giving us examples of other people as well because he wants you to humble yourself. It's the words of Jesus in Matthew 23, 11, and 12. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So we see this in this chapter. A submissive mind to serve other people. Epaphroditus was able to do that. Timothy, Paul, and we even see it in Jesus. And Paul would say, if you want joy in your life now, do the same thing. You have to have humility, but by faith do the same thing. Christ is the pattern we follow. Paul shows us the power, that it's the power of the Holy Spirit that we can be used by God. He works in and through us. And Timothy and Epaphroditus, well, they're the proof that this mind, it really works. So may we have a submissive mind and where we come now to respond in communion knowing that God and all of his humility died and loved us and cared for us. And when we submit our ways to him, we truly have life. And so let's pray and let's respond by taking communion. God, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your grace, for, Lord, just having that mindset. As we talked about how you suffered, Lord, we're about to come in at a time of response of just asking the Holy Spirit to minister to us. Lord, we want to submit to you to be able to love other people. And so, Lord, as we respond by taking communion, remembering the work you did, fill our hearts, Lord, with your love, with your spirit, with your joy to serve. God, we thank you for that freedom that we can find forgiveness in you. I pray, Lord, as we come to the table and come to the bread and the the juice, Lord, that we would be reminded that we are to live for you. And we can live for you by loving you and loving others. And so thank you for that freedom. Thank you for that joy. May we take this time to respond, to repent, and just to respond, Lord, and bring you glory that you are a great God. You served us. So, Lord, may we respond appropriately. Amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube, so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.